0: Welcome to Signs of the Times, a look at recent world events from around our kitchen table.
1: Two weeks ago on our podcast we introduced the subject of psychopathy in general, uh, specifically uh, ponderology or the study of evil. One week ago we took a look at psychopathy and how it applies to the world out there in terms of uh, politics and uh, big business. And this week we're going to be talking about the psychopath that lives right next door. So to discuss this uh, topic of psychopaths up close and personal, we have our by now regular guest, uh, Laura Nadjadczyk, who is going to explore this topic and um, give us some, probably she's going to give us some very important insights and some uh, advice on uh, how exactly to deal with uh, such people.
2: Yes, Joe, thank you. and. Uh uh, just want to make it clear that uh, I'm not considered to be an expert on this subject, except insofar as I have been victimized by psychopaths and because I was a victim of a psychopath, it prompted me to want to understand just exactly what kind of phenomenon this was I was dealing with and I began several years ago to search for answers to why some people behave the way they the way they do and As I've written on the website, as soon as I began to learn a little bit more about it, I started writing and publishing it, and I was really, really surprised to find out that there were so many victims. Uh, Tonight I have with me a few of the hundreds of emails that I've received from readers of the website, and I'd like to share just a few of these with you. Okay, let's see. We've got we've got them dating back to December two thousand one, when we first began posting the articles about psychopathy. I got an email from a an individual named Corky. I don't know if Corky is a man or a woman, but Corky wrote, "Thanks so much for posting this article." I feel as if someone finally understands what I've been through for a quarter century and am going through once again. I'm sure I will spend a lot of time with the links you provided and the links each of these sites provides. Thanks. Knowledge is protection. And then we've got another one here. And this one's from 2002. This was just a few months later. Uh, Sally writes, I cannot begin to tell you how much gratitude I have for your sight and length, Three psychopaths It's been two months now since I left mine. Shudder. After reading your info, I now see why I am still so hurt and so damned angry even though I'm away. The relief I feel with this new knowledge tells me this, and this is a blessing. Be kind to yourself. You've been through so much over the past three years. You are not alone. You can survive. Again, I thank you so very much. And then we have one from August 2003 from Ken. Just an observation about your incredibly helpful and inspiring site. Regarding psychopaths, my ex-wife was borderline personality disorder and a nightmare to live with. Most of the symptoms you discuss regarding psychopaths also represent clinical borderline personality disorder, which, which should at least be ruled out. One proposed mechanism is that borderline personality disorder people often fail to bond with their mother and transfer total emotional needs onto their father or vice versa. As adults, they see the world as black and white, everything relating to either the loved parent or the hated parent. Their lack of emotional development results in extremely intelligent, chameleon-like personalities. And after experiencing this firsthand, the best word to describe this is soulless. And we have still another. This is from 2004. Just read your page on psychopaths. Very enlightening. Thank you very much. I have survived a mother with many of the traits of psychopathy, only to fall victim to a man with a far more developed psychopathic personality. Two and a half years later, and I am still recovering and trying to untangle the remaining financial and legal consequences. These personalities have entirely dominated my life. I am now 43 and still trying to clear myself of them. I am terrified of being sucked into someone else like that, but I'm growing more confident that now I will be able to spot someone like that in time. The analogies on your webpage interest me. I have often thought the whole vampire mythology is the perfect metaphor for these people. They are bloodsuckers feeding on humanity, feeding on our life energy, morality, compassion, and trust. All the good and positive qualities that we use to define ourselves as human or humane. Looking at your information, I can see how all the warning signs I never recognized or recognized and chose to ignore centered around a conception of morality and ethics. I do think that now I could spot someone like that quickly based simply on their interest or lack and energy for this area of our lives. Thank you so much for this information. And another from 2004 from Becky. I would like to have permission to... print copies of your articles on psychopaths. I am an alcohol and drug abuse counselor at a prison in a state that I'm not going to mention and I find your articles very informative, concise and helpful. Thank you. So it seems that, oh and there's some more here but I'm not going to read all of them. Just suffice it to say that that we have uh, quite a few people who have been very much helped by this work and it Gives us encouragement to continue with it, in spite of the fact that the instant we began publishing the articles about psychopathy, all the psychopaths came out of the woodwork and started <laughs> attacking with a, fe- a vengeance. Um, in the in the last week, I bought a few more books on the subject because, of course, I'm always wanting to update our material. And I've got a new one here. It's called The Sociopath Next Door. Now, I don't like the term sociopath because it's, uh, it's, it's just, it just doesn't have the historical accuracy of the term psychopath. But it's, it's favored by some psychologists nowadays, but not, not all of them. And this one was published in 2005. It's written by Martha Stout. Now, Martha is a uh, psychologist, or was a psychologist, and a professor of psychology at Harvard. She has uh, 25 years of experience uh, dealing with psychopaths, and this book is probably one of the better ones on the subject that you will ever read if you are looking for a good general guide for a layperson to understand psychopathy, to know what you're looking for, to know how to deal with it, if possible, and more particularly to, to understand what's behind it. Because as, as Martha points out, uh, it's the closest thing you'll ever come to, you know, pure, unadulterated evil in this world. And she suggests that one out of every 25 people in the United States is a psychopath, and that means if you know twenty-five people, one of them is very likely to be a psychopath. The question is which one. Martha gives uh, a fairly good selection of ways to to recognize them, and more interestingly, she gives actual case histories. You know where she where she describes the interaction, the dynamics, and the behavior. And one thing that she mentions is that. Uh, psychopaths are not at all scary, in fact uh, they are people that are very likable, very charming very engaging, very talkative uh, it's very often very pleasant to be in the company of a psychopath because they they don't tend to want to talk about really deep issues they don't make any demands necessarily they, they can be very relaxed very entertaining while they are subtly maneuvering their way into a position of power in your psyche she also says that probably the surest way to recognize a psychopath is the pity ploy. And this was kind of a, a of a surprise because she you know to me even though I I knew that there were many who use this but she confirms that this is uh the number one technique that they use to get people to do what they want because if all else fails, they get them to pity, to pity them. And the interesting thing about that is is that the pity ploy plays into our most human characteristic, which is sympathy, pity, conscience, feeling sorry for someone. And yet the psychopath himself or herself, and they're mostly men, but women are, the the number of women psychopaths is increasing. The fact that a psychopath doesn't have a conscience is something that is extremely difficult for people to comprehend. Uh, as Martha writes in her, in her book, she says, "Imagine not having a conscience, none at all, no feeling of guilt or remorse, no matter what you do, no limiting sense of concern for the well-being of strangers, friends, or even family members." Imagine no struggle with shame, not a single one in your whole life, no matter what kind of selfish, lazy, harmful, immoral action you take. And pretend that the concept of responsibility is unknown to you, except as a burden that others seem to accept without question, and you think they're gullible fools. Now add to this strange fantasy the ability to conceal from other people that your psychological makeup is radically different from theirs. Since everyone simply assumes that conscience is universal among human beings, hiding the fact that you are conscience-free is nearly effortless. You are not held back from any of your desires by guilt or shame, and you are never confronted by others for your cold-bloodedness. The ice water in your veins is so bizarre, so completely outside of their personal experience, that they seldom ever guess your condition. In other words... You are completely free of internal restraints and your unhampered liberty to do just as you please with no pangs of conscience is conveniently invisible to the world. You can do anything at all and your strange advantage over the majority of people who are kept in line by their consciences will remain undiscovered. That's the scariest part about it. That they are different, they know they're different and they conceal this difference and we aid and abet them in concealing this difference because we believe that everybody has a conscience and it just isn't so. According to Martha Stout, one in 25 people does not have a conscience.
1: Well, it's very easy to see how... um that trait of not having a conscience or not having um, any sense of remorse or guilt would be uh, a great advantage to certain people or to, to anybody who aspired to um, you know positions of power where they essentially had to battle with other people to uh, to achieve these positions of power, which gets us back to what we, to what we talked about uh, last week how um people in positions of power We hypothesize of the people in in positions of power in governments and uh, and in business around the world, but there is a high percentage of such people that are, technically speaking, psychopaths.
2: Yes, but then there is also the issue of psychopaths who are, as Martha Stout says, the psychopath next door because she, in in her descriptions of cases and, and her experience, she talks about the fact that there are as many shades of psychopaths as there are other types, you know, of normal human beings. Uh, there are psychopaths who are, who are lazy. There are psychopaths who have ambition for, you know, power and glory. There are psychopaths who are content to be a big frog in a small pond. And, you know, depending upon many, many factors, uh, they can be just, you know, a lazy bum. They can be, uh, uh, you know, a husband, a father, a doctor, a psychologist, dentist. They do gravitate towards positions where they do have authority of some kind. But they can just as easily be uh, a gigolo, a playboy. Um.
1: Well, it, it, it's, uh, it's one of the most interesting and I suppose most chilling aspects of this topic for me is the, uh, is the idea of whether or not psychopaths are conscious of their state. And maybe it's uh, maybe that's what what you're talking about in, in terms of the various shades, because um, you know, there may be a lot of people out there who exhibit psych- psychopathic traits, but who haven't identified it in in a very concrete way about themselves in relation to other people. And in fact, it's 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 chilling because it's uh, you could almost say that for people who people who have a, a psychopathic uh, mentality or, or exhibit psychopathic traits but are unconscious of it, that could almost be put down to some kind of a a mental illness. But it's obviously not a mental illness if someone is aware of it and is able to use it to their own benefit. It's almost like the definition of a mental illness is someone who is, is a danger to themselves or a danger to other people and is out of control. But obviously the people we're talking about People we were talking about last week in terms of people in positions of power, they're certainly not out of control, uh, at least in a personal way. They're very in control in a personal way, and they're using uh, these psychopathic traits, which we assume that they're very aware of, to their own to their own benefit.
2: Yes, and, and it seems that, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about all of the different cases that I've read and the different opinions I've read from the different experts, and pretty much all of them tend to agree that psychopaths know that they are different and in a certain sense they know that they are a quote psychopath. But because they are a psychopath, they are unable to plumb the depths of the meaning of that state. It's it's completely it's completely lost on them. Um for example, uh People do things for lots of reasons. They can be concerned about self-image. They can be concerned about, you know, how they see themselves. They can be concerned about what their neighbors think of them. And you could mistake an egotistical person who was very concerned about what anybody thought of him as being a psychopath, but that wouldn't necessarily be true. The fact is that behaving decently... Uh, performing honorable actions or what would be perceived as honorable actions, uh, behaving as though you're concerned about what other people think, Uh, behaving in a more or less civilized manner uh, are things that psychopaths can do. They They can mimic all of those behaviors if they have a reason to do so. And some of them who are covertly aggressive, they do a lot of things of that sort in order to maneuver and manipulate people into doing things for them, you know, getting what they want. But the fact is that the, the real test of the psychopath is that the psychopath does not have a conscience. This is, this is what all the experts tend to agree on, that a psychopath does not have a conscience. And what does it mean to not have a conscience? Uh, that's an interesting question because a conscience is something that relates to emotion, uh if you have a conscience you are emotionally motivated to do something that's right over something that's wrong because you 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 have you have a feeling for what it's like to be at the receiving end of of being done wrong and because you empathize with the other person that you might be wronging this stops you because in a sense it hurts you as much as it would hurt them you know your 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 imagination of how they might feel will stop you but that doesn't exist for a psychopath and in fact for many normal people who do have consciences their consciences become inoperative under the influence of a psychopath a psychopath can convince them with ideology and fine-sounding words and and, and tricky rhetoric that what they are doing is is a good thing because they think they're acting on their conscience. And they're not. They're acting based on what the psychopath wants them to do. So we come back to the idea that psychopaths lack a conscience. They are beings who will do whatever they want to do and will never, ever, ever feel a pinprick of conscience. They never feel guilt or shame for anything they do. They never feel irresponsible. They never feel neglectful or embarrassed. And certainly they often pretend that they feel those things. They will observe other people, adopt their expressions, say how ashamed they feel, talk about how rotten they feel and all that because it's useful for them to have people believe that they are normal. It makes it easier for them to use people, for people to think they are normal. And what is more... Excuse me
0: for here, but this reminds me of... So much of well people like Daniel Dennett and uh, Richard Dawkins and the whole modern idea that uh, that you can 't really know what's going on inside, and so the only way you have to judge somebody is by their behavior and it 's almost as if this entire modern idea is is there to cover up the fact that what's essential is what's going on. Because as you say, the psychopath can mimic very, very well all of this. And it's only after years of suffering at their hands that, that you begin to see beyond it. And yet we're being told by official science and official psychology that that all you can know is people's actions and that's what you have to go on. So, so it's almost as if there's this attempt to establish this idea in a very, very official way as a smokescreen over what's really going on.
2: Well, in a certain sense, it's it's when there is a disconnect between the words and the actions that, uh, and, and here we're talking about longer-term actions, not just behavior. For example, a psychopath can say, uh, I feel so bad. I'm, you know, my 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 child was killed in an automobile accident today, and and I'm and I'm I'm heartbroken. I'm grief stricken and cry and cry. And then uh, a few hours later, you you see them at a party, and they say, "Oh well, I had to just get out. I was so I was so depressed." Now, obviously, a person who is really heartbroken and grief stricken about the loss of a child is not going to find a party distracting.
1: That reminds me of. Um Uh, George Bush Sr. and Barbara Bush, his wife, the the Mm -hmm. parents of the current president, who um, the day after their uh, young daughter, I think she was about five or six years old, died of leukemia. They were seen out golfing.
2: Yes. Doesn't that leave
1: you speechless? Well, but it was just to relieve the the distress and the strain, Laura.
2: Yeah, this is Barbara Bush, one with the beautiful mind that doesn't want to think about you know, dead soldiers coming home from Iraq.
1: Yeah, that our son sent to Iraq.
2: Yeah, so
1: you're listening to Signs of the Times podcast. This week we're talking about the psychopath next door, and we're going to take a break. A warm welcome to listeners all around the world on the World Wide Web. You're listening to Signs of the Times. Signs. and this week we're talking about the psychopath next door
2: so the thing is, is in regards to the question do they know what they are and the experts tell us that yes psychopaths know that other people have consciences and they think of a conscience as a strange organ of restraint and they learn very early that they can manipulate people who have consciences and that they can manipulate these consciences to get the people to do what they want them to do. And it gives them a huge advantage over normal people.
1: Well, what then, in your opinion, if any, is the difference between the common or garden psychopath who lives next door and just uh, exerts his influence and suffering on the people around him and his immediate environment and other people... Um, who rise to positions of power who use their psychopathic traits and their knowledge that they are different and that they can manipulate people with uh, a sense of empathy uh, to to attain positions of great power. Or is, is there a difference between these two in your opinion?
2: Well, certainly, and it's 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 a difference in in degree and intensity. Uh, just as some you know normal people have more ambition than others, or more energy, or or Uh, more desire to you know create or achieve something so there are are, are, you know a complete range of differences in psychopaths there are psychopaths who are content to find some woman to mooch off of and and live in her house and lay on the uh, on the lounge chair by her pool and and have her have her bring drinks and food and so forth and and uh, sway her with fine words tell her how wonderful and beautiful she is especially if she's plain and frumpy and and then uh, you know in the evening they go out and find a, a, another girl to have relations with and come back late and say oh I was just playing cards with the boys and 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 live an entire life that way and you know and once she finds out what what he's up to and what he's been doing and she kicks him out then he finds another one that's that's Perfectly psychopathic behavior
1: yeah the interesting thing is that uh, if' if it 's if it's true that uh, you know psychopaths have this lack of emotion in various senses, then they could obviously in a t- scenario you 're presenting there where there 's a woman and she 's being victimized essentially by a psychopath, a male psychopath, he could exhibit a lot of evidence, very clear evidence of self sacrifice where he you know puts himself out and, and maybe suffers in some way himself but Oh, he'll to, say so. But 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 even even in in real ways. But the thing is that um, obviously the, the the woman in that situation would look at that and see that as a, as a as a sign of his devotion or his love. But the fact is that if he if he's lacking certain emotions or an ability to feel emotions or to feel empathy, or to, then is it possible that he also lacks a certain sense of his own suffering? In, in that in that uh, he's, he could willingly put himself in positions where he would be suffering, but in fact he wouldn't be suffering in the same way that a normal person would be suffering. Uh, to achieve an end.
2: Well, this is a funny thing because you know Guggenbuhl Craig suggests that psychopaths experience a dim background suffering. That's how he how he refers to it. That they that in the background there is a a, a tragic awareness of their of their lack. I I don't happen. To subscribe to this particular idea, I think it's I think it's romantic notion because he never could quite deal with the fact that there was somebody who simply was never inconvenienced whatsoever by what was wrong with them. and of course, from that point of view if you if if the individual is in a sense perfectly capable of functioning, nothing ever bothers him. Uh, they don't suffer uh, sadness depression they're not neurotic um, they don't have any 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 fears that you know prevent them from being able to do things uh, They have confidence they make good salesmen they can hold down jobs they can make good doctors lawyers politicians etc etc etc. You know, so why aren't they the healthy ones and people who are neurotic and have consciences and, and who suffer pain and grief and despair and, and depression and, and you know, can be emotionally and psychologically crippled by those things to the point where they can't function in their jobs, they can't go, you know, they, they can't take care of their children, you know, they, uh, they can't do anything, you know. So <laughs> from a certain point of view, it could be said that the psychopath is certainly not sick. I mean, he is ultimately healthy. So why, why is it that we consider that psychopaths are the sick ones and, and the rest of us who suffer so much are, are, are normal? <laughs> why is that? That's, uh, you know, that? that's one of the interesting questions that uh, gets dealt with in, in some of the literature. And it's worth it to study it just to find, you know, the, the, the answers to those questions. Because ultimately, in a society composed of psychopaths, where there is no care or concern of uh, what would happen, say, for example, if there was a desert island and there were nothing on the island but, but psychopaths, uh, eventually they would rapaciously destroy all of the resources on the island because they wouldn't care if anybody else had any. They wouldn't care if there was any for their children and uh, very shortly they would all die because everything would be all used up and there would be nothing left for anybody and that is including it, the psychopath including the psychopath cy- well, yeah right because th- they're psychopaths and they they compete against one another for the resources and they use them up and and care about nobody and and, and no future and and then that's pretty much the way the world is looking right now
1: exactly yeah so
2: uh you know the comparison is not lost, but uh, a group of people who care for each other, who care for their children, you know they will share, they will nurture, they care for the environment. You know they will, you know they. So, so they are actually, in a certain sense, uh, evolutionarily more viable. So you you could almost say that uh, perhaps conscience, perhaps caring. Is, is an evolutionary strategy for for group survival and for survival of the planet while on in, in a single individual case psychopathy is uh, is a strategic survival mechanism for an individual.
1: Okay, so you're stating that psychopaths um, have no conscience essentially, but does that therefore mean that they don't know the difference between right and wrong?
2: No. The absence of a conscience does not mean that they don't know the difference between what is considered right and wrong. They know it all too well. In fact, most of what our culture considers to be right and wrong has been instituted by psychopaths to control everyone else, leaving the field clear for them to operate unmolested. That doesn't mean that some of the things that have been instituted are not, you know, normally right or wrong. For example, uh, say, 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 take the Ten Commandments. Obviously, there are a number of things in the Ten Commandments that are that are very useful and and self-evident. You know, thou shalt not bear false witness against your neighbor. Thou shalt not kill. You know, uh, honor your father and mother. You know, of course, assuming they they deserve being honored and they're not psychopaths. Um, but then, you, after you have all of these, you have all these great nice self-evident rules, and then you slip in. I'm the Lord your God. I'm a jealous God, and I'm the only one. Now, what kind of a control thing is that? So, you know, right there, you, you see that this is the method by which they, by which they control us. They institute, uh, you know, laws that are self-evidently right and good and proper, and then they slip in things that are specifically to their advantage. Religions, in particular, monotheistic religions. Monotheistic religions are psychopathy in action. So, yes, they know the difference intellectually, but they are still able to do anything at all without a twinge if it suits them to do it.
1: Do you think, in terms of um, you mentioned earlier that psychopaths have this effect or influence on other people that essentially, to some extent, makes other people who are not psychopathic somewhat psychopathic? It, it, it gives them, psych- it leads them to have or exhibit psychopathic traits if they hang around or spend too much time in the company of a psychopath. And obviously in terms of the psychopath next door or just in his local community, obviously his influence is going to be fairly limited. But in terms of uh, psychopathy in in people in positions of power who have the resources to reach an awful lot of people uh, by their actions and by their example, obviously there's a potential there to psychopathize millions of people, potentially. And my question is... Absolutely. My question is, is that could that be a conscious... Um, policy or plan it is
2: absolutely conscious it is absolutely conscious they intellectually know what's right they intellectually know what's wrong they know that normal human beings have consciences these strange organs that cause them to beat up on themselves if they do something bad or hurtful or wrong they knew (laughs) they know how to use rhetoric to control people by their consciences they know how to stir them up with you know look at those bad people, they did an evil thing, we have to go get them and kill them all because if we don't, they're going to you know, come and, and, and rape our women and kill our babies and steal our food. Um, they know exactly how to use those kinds of, of ploys on normal human beings. And they know what they're doing and they calculate it and they do it deliberately and consciously.
0: Which is extremely frightening uh, to think that the ultimate conspiracy is that the world is being ruled by a group of psychopaths who are conscious and who are working towards the same end.
2: Well, conscience is so fundamental that we rarely think about it. We don't ask ourselves, shall I give my child lunch money today? Or shall I steal something from my coworker that means a lot to them today? Or shall I tell my spouse I want a divorce because I'm bored today? We don't do those things. But when we observe somebody else doing them, we cannot conceive of not having a conscience, so we make excuses for them. We produce explanations, such as she forgot to give her child lunch money, or the person's co-worker must have misplaced the item, or the spouse must have been a real bear to live with. We create labels to describe people who do such things. We call them eccentric, artistic, competitive, lazy, clueless. You know, oh, he's such a rogue. But the fact is, is that those things are conscienceless, conscienceless behaviors.
0: Well, it's interesting, you want one the example of not giving children money for lunch, tying it into what you said about the monotheistic religions. We have the dead man on the stick religion, and the whole emotional hook to that is that God sacrificed his son for us. What a psychopathic idea is that, that somebody is going to sacrifice his son? How many parents... Uh, you know, think about that if you're a parent. What would it take you to be in a state that you would be willing to sacrifice one of your children for anybody?
2: That's that's about the sickest psychopathic <laughs> idea that has ever been constructed. Not on only the face that, of but the it's the been planet. foisted
1: on people without asking them if they wanted this sacrifice or not. You know, it's like, you know, it's too late. You can't choose to, to say, well, listen. I, don't, I didn't want uh, God to sacrifice his son for me, so I, I don't want to have to be uh, pay homage to this. I mean, it's too late. He did it, and you're lumbered with it.
0: And it's played up as being this wonderful act of love on the part of God for humanity, and it's just
2: sick. It's totally sick. So the well, bottom line is—it's
1: very interesting the the parallels there between uh, between America and what's going on in Iraq. You know, I mean, we, we've talked about the the Christian. Uh, oh, cause so of course, because if mean, God
2: ha- sacrificed His Son for people, then it's only natural for 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 American uh, parents to sacrifice their children good for the Chris- good of the country. Good
1: Christian parents, yeah. yeah, and then for Donald Rumsfeld to you know get on
0: TV and say. Well, you know, we can't just pull out of Iraq. We have to support the troops because this is, I mean, you know, how can you people just sit there and and stop supporting the military, you know, your sons and daughters? How can you do that? How can you pull out? And, you know, I mean, you know, it's the
1: whole... And yeah. floating in the background,
2: there is God sacrificed His son for you. So,
1: but how, but how evil is that? You've got you've got a bunch of uh, you've got lots of American parents who are whose hearts are being broken with the, with the thought that their son or daughter is going to come home in a box, and they want to pull them out because they want <laughs> to save their sons. And they're being given this guilt trip by Donald, Donald Rumsfeld uh, to, by saying that they're not supporting or loving, by implication, their children by not allowing them to stand in Iraq
2: and die. And that is psychopathic manipulation. They manipulate our consciences.
0: Paramoralisms, in the words of Lobachevsky.
2: Exactly. So the fact is that the internal world of the psychopath is that they do not care at all about the effects of their actions on society, on friends, on family, and even on their children. And this is so crazy an idea that most of us cannot even grok it. The closest normal people ever come to being like a psychopath is when they are in so much physical pain that their ability to reason or act is temporarily paralyzed. But even then, even when in pain, a normal person sees and knows that they are acting a little crazy and they feel guilty about it. Absolute guiltlessness defies the imagination of a normal person. In short, conscienceless people can be altogether invisible to us if they are the ordinary type and not on the 6 o'clock news because they have committed some monstrous crime. The big problem with our society is that we are interested in how smart we are relative to others. The smallest child can tell the difference between a girl and a boy. Tell it like it is, Laura. We fight wars over race and religion. Hallelujah. But the single most important division between people, those who have conscience and those who do not, is almost never considered or discussed. The most evolved of all humanizing functions, the conscience, is effectively a non-topic.
0: So we're, we're talking about conscience, but what is conscience?
2: Well, I don't think anybody is entirely sure what conscience is, but it's like an emotional taskmaster that meets out emotional pain for infractions of the rules. The problem is, you know, most of our psychopathically created social structures, those rules are set up to beat up on us in such a way that we are better food for psychopaths. What's more, psychopaths mercilessly utilize our conscience to manipulate us. All other psychiatric disorders cause some level of, of distress to the sufferer, not to mention those around the sufferer or those who love him. Psychopathy stands alone as a disorder that causes no dis-ease at all to the person who has it. There is no subjective discomfort whatsoever. Psychopathy, the lack of a conscience, is the closest we come to the notion of pure, unadulterated evil. And since there's no discomfort to the ordinary psychopath, the issues that come up are basically moral issues. How does one actually study it Scientifically. And then who do you treat, the psychopath or the people who are victims of the psychopath? Obviously, this whole issue raises a host of ethical questions, no matter how you look at it. So we have to ask, does having a conscience work for the individual who has one? Or as one psychopath put it, is a conscience merely a psychological corral for the masses? Of course, it's only a psychological corral for the masses when there are psychopaths to corral corral them. So the final thing I want to say tonight is everybody go out and get a copy of Martha Stout's book, The Sociopath Next Door, because it could save your life or the life of someone you love.
0: That wraps up what we have to say about psychopaths for this week. I'm fairly certain that it's a subject that we'll be returning to sometime in the future, and most likely once again with Laura. And as always, if you'd like to read more about the topics we discussed today, you can visit our Weekend Signs page, which will be found at www.signs-of-the-times.org. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back soon.